snowball mic that i've had since i was like 12 years old and it's it's a champ <laughs> it's a champ man but it's it is so beat up and uh no kind of maybe time to like upgrade i mean i guess you know after a couple decades maybe i can justify it i don't know we'll see but i'm not saying like you know this ain't the joe rogan show but uh you know making it a little easier to listen to is always a good thing so and yeah. I, I, I don't know about you, but I am super self-conscious about mouth sounds. You know? I am too, but like, I've just had to get over it because in the age of like the Zoom conference call meeting, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on a microphone all the time talking to other people. Yeah. Yeah. Got to get over it. I just, I, I, I know, no joke. I've had nightmares about just like standing up to like <laughs> in front of people and just being like, and just being like, there's no way to stop this. Drinking all the water I can, and it just keeps yeah. going, you know? Yep. Oh, That's well. accurate. Oh, well. So, my good friend Sean, um, let's see here. Uh, I need to grab a guitar or something so that you can uh, delight the listening audience with some Enya renditions. Um, I'm sorry, what? Bro, won't you? No, I will not. Well, that was going to be my intro because that is one of my earliest and uh, happiest memories with you was back in high school. I think that everybody else in the Payson High School pipe band had gone to an assembly or something like that. And for some reason, it was just like you, myself, Zach, maybe Levi, like a couple of the younger guys, you know, who yeah. come up. They were just sitting there on the stage and there was this grand piano and I started playing some Enya songs and you sang... I'm not. I'm not being. Like, I'm not joking around. It was gorgeous. You no, sang it wasn't. this crystal clear falsetto. It was Pilgrim. You sang Pilgrim <laughs> from the Watermark out. Al- was it Watermark? No, wait. Which album is Pilgrim from? I think it's Watermark. Yeah, I think so. Or was it A Day Without Rain? It's one of those watery ones. Anyway, uh, and I, I've never not remembered that. Like it's like this memory that's like <laughs> forever present in my mind. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. But like, I am not a great singer. <laughs> Well, you know, sometimes memory is kind to us, and maybe the, maybe you have the benefit of, uh, of uh, you know, the kindness in my own memory, but I remember it. I'm going to go with that. I was surprised, you know, like, I was just sitting there like, whoa, hey, whoa, hey, this, <laughs> this guy does more than play bagpipes. Yeah, I don't really. <laughs> but that's very kind of you to say. Mm-hmm. Well, so we go back that far to the Payson High School pipe band days. Is mm-hmm. that where you started playing bagpipes? Was in the high school band, or did you start playing with, uh, you know, White Peaks or somebody else before then? Um, I started playing with Lynette just in the Channer class in junior high, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then I got private lessons with uh, Queen Susan. With Queen Susan, the that was shiny. mostly just like an like an uh, excuse to goof off on a Saturday morning. But like, we also learned some stuff. Now, I don't think she would take this as anything but a compliment, but is pretty much anything that involves Susan an excuse to goof off? I kind of think so. Yeah. Like, I think that, yeah, I think she would consider that a badge of honor. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, she's earned it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so that was like when I first started and we, Lynette really like ran that class really well, at least in my mind, um, in my memory because mm-hmm. um, she she split it into three groups so that there were like three quote bands um, mm-hmm. and we all got to pick our own medley and by the like the end of the year exam or whatever was to play that medley in a, a faux competition really? and she had she yeah, she had her sister come and judge it and I can't remember who else like I'll have to ask uh, but uh, there was someone else from the high school band at the time that came to judge that and so I remember being in the groups that won the competition. Ah, well. And I, I think it was you. like a year-long class, and I joined halfway through the year. And, like, I was so obsessed with learning to play. Yeah. I, what, what, I, what other amazing things did you do, Sean? <laughs> I, just, I just remember getting in there and, like, whipping through all of the beginner materials because I wanted to play, like, songs, like tunes. 
and I didn't want to play dirge for the rest of my life. This was the this was junior high age, right? This was what were you like 13, 14 years old? Uh, yeah, probably fourteen. Yeah, I I I just I was just talking to Leanne, and we I did an interview with Leanne just the other day, and so she was talking a little bit about you know the program that Lynette ran and stuff, and I did not I until you just said it just now, I'd never even thought of having chanter class students do medleys. That's a great idea. It was a lot of fun because this is the failing of like the music education system, I think, is that it always teaches you hot cross buns, right? As an example, like no, no kid, no 14 year old kid wants to learn dirge. <laughs> they want to play like something cool. And I, I knew that I wanted to play the blue cloud. Oh and man. So, yeah. Um, I was really driven and like, part of that was in my lessons too. Like Susan just had access to a ton of music cause she'd been playing for years and years already. And so I just was very driven and learning to play a medley with a group uh, that early on was a really fun experience. Probably even formative. Probably. Yeah. At least Cause I don't, I don't even think I knew that that's what you did with bagpipes. Like my experience with bagpipes to that point had just been like, as a spectator in parades. Yeah. And I thought that was cool. So um, it kind of opened my eyes and made me realize like, Hey, this might be, this might be what I want. Well, I, it, it hits a little close to home cause I'm teaching my son to play right now. And the first thing I taught him was hot cross buns, but he is, <laughs> he's, he's, he's only, he's only eight. So I don't feel quite so bad about it. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's okay because I'm I'm a huge proponent, and the band probably hates this about me, but I'm not like a huge proponent of very traditional stuff too. Like I think that it's important to have a strong foundation in tradition and where the bagpipe comes from, and part of that is learning things um, along those lines. Mm. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I also think it's um, not the best learning experience to force people or limit people from learning new things as well, because the, the way it stays fun and stays fresh is by you also having a, a hand, right, as the student in learning things and deciding what you want to learn and yeah. when, so. You can kind of own the experience. Yeah, and so it's like really, exper it's important to have those um, foundations, but it's also important to have fun. Mm. That is, a, it is an interesting sort of, uh, is it a dichotomy? I don't know. Maybe just a difference of, of, uh, of theories or philosophies. Mm. It seems like, and now I, I don't know if Picasso actually said this or if it was said of Picasso or if it's been erroneously credited to him or something like that. But I, I have this like loose quote floating in my head that Picasso was so good at breaking the rules because he understood the rules first. Yeah, I've heard something along those lines before, and I, I don't know where it comes from exactly, but I kind of agree with that. Yeah, it, it seems like, I mean, this has been on my mind lately anyway, because the book that we use in our beginner class, I've been trying to put together some YouTube videos to go along with it, and I, I do feel worried sometimes about, like, it seems like there's, I don't know if it's fair to call it the more traditional camp, but there is a camp that would say, like, you must learn the scale and then all the embellishments before learning any song at all and then there's another school of thought that would say get them a song as fast as possible because that's where it's fun and if you make them learn tarluis before they can start on scotland the brave they'll quit you know what i mean yeah um i kind of i kind of agree with both schools of thought a little bit um, yeah yeah I'm i guess i would fall somewhere yeah, yeah i would I, I would fall somewhere in, in the middle like yeah, I think it's important that you get that foundation and learn the Tower Lewis because, like, that's one of the first movements in Scotland the Brave. So mm -hmm. here's Scotland the Brave, and here's how to do a Tower Lewis. Do both of them this week and come back to me and we'll talk. Mm, yeah, that's, so that's, that's my philosophy. That makes a lot of sense. And then you seat the fundamental within a song. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So wise. So I wise. did that with the band actually during one of our band Saturdays with the bubbly note too. The bubbly note, I remember that. What was the name of the I tune? I make people uh, devil in the kitchen. Maybe? Devil in the kitchen. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't make the band memorize a scale with bubbly notes before right. they got the tune. I gave them the tune and said, "Here's how you do this one movement in the tune. Ready to go." 
Yeah. And I think it worked out pretty well. It did. It was really enjoyable. And for me personally, it had been like 10 years since I had played Devil in the Kitchen and also a bubbly note. So it was really... (laughs) Right. (laughs) Basically, I think I was able to look at it with the eyes of someone coming to both for the first time and it did work well. I thought it worked really well. Yeah. I mean, obviously some people latched on a little bit better than others, uh, but that's always going to be the case. Some people are going to get one thing, but not another and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So... It all comes with your personal practice time. That's for sure. Yeah. The um, now you, you mentioned that your your experience before joining the chanter class when you were a teenager was uh, as a spectator at parades and stuff. Is that the is that the entirety of your exposure to bagpipes before starting to play? Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you were you were like you didn't have any older siblings or previous generations of pipers or anything like that to kind of guide you on the journey you just dove in no no not really um in fact i i almost want to say that i well that's not true i did know susan before that because i i started hanging out with andrew uh when i was in middle school Mm. but i think the, the the real like aha moment for me and they were very close together but one was white peaks was in the santa quinn parade and like uh, people got like super psyched when they like walked by. Mm-hmm. And so that I was like, mm, that's kind of cool. I wonder if I could do that. And then I think the really, the thing that drove the nail into the coffin for me was seeing the high school pipe band perform at an assembly once or something. Mm. I can't, I can't remember exactly the order. Like, those like they'd come to visit at the middle school or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Mm. And I thought, cause like everyone just thought it was so cool. Yeah. In retrospect, I don't know if they did or if I just thought they did. I don't know. It was yeah. a lot of fun, though. High school pipe band was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was fun because you were there, right? <laughs> um, no, I think it was fun because of other things, too. But mostly, mostly because you were there. We were so crazy. There are things that we did in band that I'm like, I can't believe I did that. So aside from pipe band stuff, uh, what other, what other hobbies do you have? What other interests do you have? Um, I mean, I have, they're so varied. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I can never focus on anything for too long. Uh, mm-hmm. Bagpipes was the only exception. I think um, I played it obsessively until I was like 26 or 27 and then just stopped for several years. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cause I, I think I had had enough at that point and just needed a break. Yeah. Um, and so in the interim, like I've, I've painted Warhammer figures, which is a lot of fun, but also kills my neck and back. Cause I never sit right for it. I always mm-hmm. am hunched over. Um, I, uh, I've, I've become a very avid like gamer. I play uh, Guild Wars two a lot. <laughs> Like probably more than I should. What uh, what class um, or what you know in general terms? You know, since not many people oh, listening will be playing, but in general terms, what kind of class character do you like to play? I always I always have to play a mage, like a caster character. Mm. Um, I I just don't resonate with um, like rogues or heavy armor classes. <clears throat> I always like to destroy people with my mind, mm. which is mm. actually, if I think about it, very much like me in real life. No, I, I wasn't going to say anything, but that's... A manipulative uh... person. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's that's like my go-to in every game I've played. Mm. But other hobbies, you know that I picked up the auto harp yeah. recently. I'm, st- I still, been... I'm still getting some chords together for you for some pipe songs. Well, good, because I'm, like, waiting uh, with bated breath. And, like, uh, every day you just I, sit still next to the computer, like, maybe it'll come out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like, I open my inbox, and I'm like, oh, it's not today. Darren's like, what are you, what are you doing? Just waiting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've I've picked up some other songs and stuff along the way, and I, I give it a couple hours, um, at least a week. Usually, usually I play for, like, 30 minutes a day at least. Mm-hmm. But some some weeks, you know get crazy and i don't um other hobbies i do like to sew i'm a costumer so mm-hmm. i've made several um very elaborate costumes mostly for halloween but i um, remember your morticia and gomez adams were those both creations of your own so the suit for gomez was not um but the the dress for Mort- morticia and kind of the wig was we added extensions to a really cheap like party city wig mm-hmm. so but i i didn't add the extensions darren darren does the hair stuff <laughs> i do the sewing stuff 
<laughs> but yeah, I'm self-taught as a sewer also, which means I spend a lot of time on YouTube because I don't understand some mm. things. Is when it, I get to a part it, in a, a pattern, I'm like, mm, I don't know what that means. So we're going to find a YouTube video. Is this pretty much all stuff that, you know, kind of you imagine or desire to do to use yourself? Or have you like done stuff with community theater or, or, uh, you know, by commission, like other, you know, family members or friends ask for something? Um, I've only ever done one commission and it was as part of a fundraiser, actually. Mm -hmm. There was a, a friend that I met through Darren that really wanted to be uh, Sarah Sanderson from Hocus Pocus one year. And so I commissioned a uh, or she commissioned of me uh, a dress, but it was, uh, she bought it as a uh, part of an auction for charity. Oh, I see. I see. She purchased um, the commission as it, as it were. Yeah. I yeah. See. And it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot on that. I had never made a corset before. And mm -hmm. so I made a, a brand new corset from scratch with steel boning in it. That was kind of interesting, but not as hard as I thought it would be. No, it sounds intimidating to me for sure. I, uh, it was, but once I got into it, it, it really all just came together and made a lot of sense the way everything hmm. should be. I I was a gardener for a little while shortly after high school. I, I didn't get accepted to BYU. I had a terrible grade point average, and, and just, academically, I've never been super impressive. <laughs> but at the time, the economy was very strong, and they did not have enough students to fill student job positions, and so I, I didn't get a... I didn't get in as a student, but I worked there as a gardener. And it just so happened that the grounds crew that I was on was entirely staffed by members of the Pen and the Quill Club, uh, which is a LARPing group. Well, oh, really? If one of them hears this, they'll probably say, we do more than LARP. Yeah, and that's, that's <laughs> fair. But, uh, but every day at lunch, during the lunch hour, um, they'd all whip out either poetry they were working on or sewing projects they were working on. And work on oh, and cool. I, I, I can see clearly in my mind still a, a girl working on a corset across the table from me as I was eating a sandwich. That's funny. You know what? So like five, five or six years ago, I would never have ever considered using hand stitching if I could at all avoid it. Mm -hmm. And just like the last six or seven months, I've come to realize that you can do so many really cool things mm -hmm. if you're hand stitching that you can't do with a machine and it looks better. And I mean, to the untrained eye, it probably wouldn't, it doesn't matter. But a machine is, they exist because they save time and you can mass produce something. Mm -hmm. But um, hand sewing is a lost art that really has a lot of value. I really respect people who can, who can hand sew a garment. Mm. Have you ever attempted anything that would go with your bagpiping uniform, be it a kilt or a, what's the Prince Charles jacket or anything like that? I actually was thinking about trying to make a kilt because the one I have is a little bit big because I lost a little bit of weight after I ordered it. Congrats. And I could just move I thank you. I could just move the buckles, which is a pretty simple project. But I've actually considered like just getting the tartan and trying to make one from scratch because mine's a light kilt too. It's not a full weight kilt. Man, you love the um, feel of a full weight kilt, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So I might, but I also like don't want to spend the money. <laughs> so. Oh sure, I mean that's a lot of fabric, right? I I've got an aunt who made some dance kilts for her for her daughter and some friends or something like that when they were doing some Highland dance, and she said she'll never make another kilt. She she sews a lot, and she said that was just the hardest thing she's ever done. They they do look like they would be pretty brutal to make, honestly. Um, pleating is very hard, and it's very hard hard to keep it straight mm -hmm. and you compress it until the cows come home but then once you set it to the machine something could go wrong and it will just mess it up and you'll have to unpick it well it gives you a little more appreciation for why they are as expensive as they are huh you know, yeah to get a good definitely show. definitely so um you've played with a few different groups will you carry me through maybe in chronological order where you've uh, where you've played pipes yeah, sure. Um, so as we talked about earlier, I did start in the high school pipe band. Um, I played there through my whole high school career. I also taught the, or helped teach the chanter class during that time. Um, and then 
during my senior year, I actually joined White Peaks Pipe Band and played with both groups whenever I was allowed. I mean, in competition, you can only play with one Mm -hmm. in most situations. But I did start with them when I was a senior, and I played... I played with them for a long time. I don't even remember how long. I'd have to pull old rosters or something. But then when I was probably like 22 or 23, I did um, venture out to San Francisco and I joined with the Irish Pipers of San Francisco and played with them for a season. And that was kind of an interesting experience. They, uh, They had a very interesting philosophy towards Highland music mostly that it shouldn't exist and it should all be Irish music. (laughs) And I have to admit, I'm not a connoisseur of Irish music, so I don't know the subtle differences that exist between the two. I thought bagpipes were pretty much bagpipes. Yeah. I mean, all the world's recordings I've ever listened to, I couldn't, unless I'm looking at the track list, I couldn't tell which one was an Irish band versus which one was a Scottish band. Yeah. So... Um, but they they were a good group. They um, they had gone through some turbulent times uh, in the years previous, and um, so they had been back and forth between grade four and grade three a few times. When I played with them, that that was their grade three band, and it was it was kind of interesting to play up a grade, and that was the highest band grade that I ever competed in. And the competition was a lot more stiff, especially mm. out in California. Uh, people people know their stuff, and they they rehearse and they they come and they they bring their a game every time it's it was really impressive to see what did but, rehearsing look like for you in that case did you move out there for a while or did you um kind of go out periodically for a, no a i i took i took like uh private lessons from their pipe major once a month basically and it was just like a a video conference or whatever mm-hmm. uh webcam and he would give me stuff to work on, tell me, you know, where I was doing well, where I needed to improve. And then I did, I did fly out there for one like combined band rehearsal. Mm -hmm. And then it was just competition through the summer. And I mean, I was, I was holding my own. They had, they definitely had members that were weaker players than I was. And so I was not ever um, in danger of being cut, but I think I could have benefited from being there more frequently for sure. Oh, of course. Yeah. I'd imagine that that would make a difference in any case, but, but to some degree being able to do it in a remote situation is kind of a confidence boost too. You know, I mean, you kind of have to rely on your own determination in order to get the practice yeah. done and stuff like that. And I was, I was really nervous about it. Their, their melody was very complex. They had a couple of reprises of the same jig uh, throughout. And so, um, it, it just had some weird transitions that without playing with the band, you sort of have to just hope you're doing it right. And then the day of you go through it a couple of times and you make adjustments or you die basically. Mm. But it was, I, I mean, I was nervous the first competition we did, but you know, when I got out there and was actually playing with the band, it, it, it became apparent that I was going to be fine. Mm-hmm. but there there definitely was that sort of anxiety of like, am I going to be good enough? Are they going to kill me? Like <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> Cause I didn't have a lot to go on. What was the impetus to go out to California and join the group? Was that your idea or did, was it suggested to you? Uh, a little bit of both. I, I was obviously, uh, I don't think it's any secret to anyone who knows me experiencing a little bit of unrest with white peaks. I was very frustrated. And I think that, I think that Don was very sort of upset by that. Not, not like, I don't know, not, not, I don't know if upset is the right word, but just, I think he felt like it was a slap in the face Mm -hmm. and it wasn't intended to be, I was just unhappy. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I just felt like things were not headed in a very healthy direction for me personally. Mm -hmm. And so I, I took, steps to remove myself and just try something new and you know it was fun it was a good experience and it was really neat to play in a different grade and in a different state more frequently but it 
it wasn't any different really at the end of the day there were there were still the same issues in the band mm -hmm. it was just the the overall playing ability of the band was a little bit higher yeah than i was used to so there were still people who were not coming to rehearsal there were you know there were just the same issues people mm -hmm. who didn't know their music people um who were habitually late uh that didn't have their uniform together there was it was always the same issues and never it was never different and that was true of all three bands that I was in. But not Garden Valley, of course. Garden Valley is perfect. Yes, Garden Valley is perfect. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it does seem like you could, you, we could take that saying that people are people wherever you go and probably perfectly accurately say pipe bands are pipe bands wherever you go because they are comprised of people. Well, I have no wisdom, but it seems like there's some nugget of wisdom in this experience. The, the grass isn't always greener. Mm, maybe that's it. Or maybe the or grass... It's, it's never greener, actually. Or, it's the same color. Right. Or we, we, right, we could say it's equally green in all places. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I've, told, I've talked to about that before, too, because I, I, can, I can imagine that there might be some level of, of... I don't want him to feel in any way guilty or bad. We've had some other band members, too, that have come to Garden Valley and then go play with other bands. And I think that's great, honestly. And... And Agreed. I can't speak for everybody who was involved in starting Garden Valley, but I know that that was important to Zach. He, it, he really wanted people to try all kinds of bands, you know, and with no expectation that they would start at Garden Valley and end there again either, you know, just, and that probably is partly born from his experience from of playing with a lot of different bands, but he had this glorious vision that everybody in all bands would play with all bands. And so everybody would all become friends and have different experiences and stuff like that. That would be a really good thing. Yeah. And I think there would be a lot of value in something like that. Uh, mm -hmm. Cause I mean, I don't know how much, you know, but in the early days when I was playing with white peaks, you know, as a senior, there was a ton of animosity amongst every band in this state. Every yeah. everybody thought everyone had it in for each other, and there was tons of backbiting and and arguing and rule checking and just any any kind of petty thing imaginable that you could think of. And we're talking about at that point there wasn't even a grade three band in Utah. It was all grade four. Mm. That was all there was. So everyone had an even playing field. Um, and, and what but would there was have, just would so much animosity. Like, there would have been White Peaks, Utah Pipe Band, Salt Lake Scots, Wasatchin District, and then Ben Loman and Payson High School, right? Um, so, so six bands? No, I want to say there's another one. What's the one from SUU? Oh, the Scotsman. Yeah. They were they were competing it's, at the time too, huh? Because they've kind I of think come so. in and out of existence they, here. They go in and out, yeah. yeah. And I think they Understandably, were. Understandably, as, as a university band, that could be a challenge to always have competition numbers and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. And so, yeah, that that's all there was. And they were all in the same grade. So I don't know why there was so much animosity, but you could just hear whisperings of it if you were paying attention. Yeah. Uh, which is unfortunate. And I think that, I think things have come a long way. I think that the, the changes in some of WESPA's rules, as well as the Great Basin Branches rules and bylaws, have made an overall healthier playing experience for people. Mm -hmm. But I do, I do think there's still some old, angry codgers out there that are little holdouts from the the previous regime, if you will. Well, they'll die eventually, right? But yeah, like in general, <laughs> I I think that things are healthier than they've ever been for this branch. Well, that's great. That's that's beautiful to hear. That's, I mean, one of the, one of the things that Zach talked about when we were setting Garden Valley up was that he was like, let's let's be an educational group first and if we have students that come through our program that then go and play in every single band won't that be great because then we'll have friends right. everywhere exactly and so that's why I, I i know that some of the some families that have been in our band like felt some guilt and stuff about going to other bands but part of it is that honestly especially some of these kids who are just learning so fast they have I think just they should absolutely with a clear conscience go and play with a higher grade band because they're ready for it. You know, go get that experience where you can. It's a good thing. That's how I feel too. And I, I hope the band recognizes that I tried to make that clear, mm -hmm. um, you know, earlier this year. Uh, but I don't want people to be like me. I don't want them to stick with something just out of guilt or obligation mm -hmm. and be bitter 
and angry about it because I was very bitter and very angry for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. And it, it ev- eventually led me to stop playing altogether. And nobody will. Zach, I mean, we don't want that for anybody. Exactly. And Zach and Diana had to practically beg me to come and play <laughs> again. And I, I've had a lot of fun with Garden Valley. Mm-hmm. There have been some ups and downs and it's been very stressful to try and be the pipe major mm-hmm. as well, especially in such a bizarre time. We've had a lot of turbulence over the last two years mm-hmm. and it's been hard to get through that. And so I'm hoping that whoever decides to take on that mantle this year recognizes that it's okay if people leave um, because I don't want to hold people back. I don't want to hold talent back out of obligation. It's important for people who are, who are outpacing their peers to find new peers. Mm -hmm. That's how we get better. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So Sean, do you, do, and I can cut this question out. Do you do you want to talk at all about the uh, the, the the difficulty you've had with your nerves and stuff? Um, yeah, I mean, I I'm pretty open about it. Not mm-hmm. not too many people have asked for that much detail, and it, so it probably seems really enigmatic to a lot of the band. But um, even even before I joined uh, Garden Valley, I had noticed some issues playing uh, my pipes on. Uh, specifically just on my left hand, so the top hand, it was just not responding the way I remembered it. And for a long time, I put it off and sort of shoved it to the back of my mind and thought, no, you just weren't as good as you think you were. Mm. Or your playing ability wasn't as developed as you thought it was. This is just all in your head. And so for several years, I mean, I would say that I even saw early signs of this when I was playing with the Irish Pipers mm, in but San just Francisco. Didn't recognize it maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought, Oh, it's just cause I'm a little bit rusty or something, or just got to hash through it a few more times. Mm-hmm. And I just, I put it off and didn't think about it and didn't think about it until I really did try to come back full time and play with garden Valley. And I just month after month, I just did not experience any kind of um, improvement and I thought, this cannot be normal. This is not this is not how I used to play. And there's no reason that I can comprehend that I should not be able to do mm-hmm. these movements. And so I started doing some research. Of course, everyone starts with Dr. Google, right? Of course. And <laughs> even though I have access to like an entire compendium of medical literature you work at, in at the, the flick of a wrist. Yes, I could literally pull up any PubMed article. I, there's there's the whole lexicon of medical literature I could access, and I start with Dr. Google. Mm. But also, I think that's because Google's better than any other search engine ever invented. So Yeah, they've, they've really got, got a hold of us, don't they? It's so good. It works yeah, so well. Yeah. I've tried using some alternatives lately, and they just do not compare. Yeah, there's a reason that we don't say just Bing it. Because <laughs> yeah. Bing is not a real search engine. Oh, they'd sure like us to, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so I started Googling, read some things, developed some theories. You know, at one point I I thought that it was um, just fatigue, like a sort of, sort of a tennis elbow, if you will, but tendonitis more just in the tendons of the hand. But I didn't, didn't really have any inflammation that was palpable, no swelling, no warmth. Um, so I thought, well, that can't be it. Eventually, um, article after article led me down this neurological deficit path um, where I, I discovered, and I had never heard of this before, but um, this condition called dystonia that causes um, some of the nerves. And it, a lot of people experience it in like the head and neck area mm-hmm. um, where the nerves will just um, cause the muscles to contract involuntarily for no reason. They, mm-hmm. they literally don't know what causes this. There are theories, but like no one knows for sure what causes it. Musicians and writers have historically suffered from things called writer's cramp or mu- musician's cramp, which is a form of dystonia called focal dystonia, which affects the extremities, mm-hmm. usually the hands or fingers of people who do repetitive motions. So it can happen to anyone who's spending 
large amounts of time doing the same kinds of motions over and over. And a light went off when I read about that because I thought, how many hours did I spend in high school, um, through my college career, um, even post-college, just rehearsing? I was, I was, I mean, my grades were never super great either. Uh, I, I kept a decent average, I guess, but definitely had some ups and downs. And it was because I was spending so much time rehearsing that I wasn't actually doing my homework. You were playing the blue cloud, dagnabbit. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I, I started researching more and more and found out that this, this is pretty common in people who play, especially like woodwind instruments, mm. uh, because they typically have a lot more physical movement involved in the, the playing of the notes. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, I got an appointment with a neurologist. She sort of did an examination. I had several appointments with her. We tried a bunch of different things did, did to, ru- ever, to rule other stuff out. Did she ever have and, you play your pipes for her just to see? Yeah. 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 Well, not my, not my pipes. I, I brought in my practice channel yeah. one time and showed her. I said, this is what a relaxed finger posture should look like. And I should be able to maintain this. And I can't. And so then I played for her to show her how my hand responded to playing. And could, it could was you kind of describe that a little bit in case some, I, I mean, I'm just, who, who knows, but this is the kind of thing I live in fear of all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and so uh, it's partly my own stress maybe, but, but tell me about it. What does it, what does it feel like when that starts to take over, you know, when it starts to kind of cramp up? I, I can have a perfectly normal day doing perfectly normal things, but the minute my forefinger and thumb touch a chanter, I can feel the, the muscles start to contract. And mm-hmm. so no matter what, I can focus. All, and this is why I sweat so much too, I think, when I play. Do you it's sweat because I'm focusing. Mm-hmm, like not more than usual. Mm. Uh, because I can't, no matter how hard I focus on it, I can't stop it from happening. So my fingers slowly will try to, curl almost into a fist yeah yeah i I have seen that happen when you're playing Mm -hmm. and i can't do anything about it Mm. i have tried bandages i've tried braces i have tried splints i i have tried medications oral medications nothing will stop it i i get minor symptom relief from taking uh anticholinergic medications like benadryl Mm. and the thought is that that slows down some of the the neuron firings in the brain, and so it prevents some of these um, random firings from happening, which alleviates the symptoms, but it never makes them go away. So, mm-hmm. like when we were doing our band Saturdays, probably most of the band doesn't know this, but I was hopped up on like 100, 200 milligrams of Benadryl during mm. all of that. Oh man, you poor guy. And and trying to play. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I don't I mean, know. So if, if anything every... weird happened on Band Saturday, everybody just don't think about it too hard because right. It was, <laughs> I, it was I was the probably drugs. only halfway awake. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't but, talk to um, don't talk to sober and and fully awake Sean about what what drugged up Sean did at Band Saturday. Right. Right. So, most actually, I mean, because I've had such exposure to high doses of it already, um, I don't suffer from too much drowsiness when I take it. It's mostly just dry mouth and dry eye. Mm. You know, that's funny because your eyes were so red on Ben Saturday, you know? Mm -hmm. That's why. There you go. Yeah. Well, I am, I don't know how to adequately express my condolences, you know, but I feel for you, man. And, for what it's worth, I think that you've handled it admirably in looking to the auto harp to continue expressing, you know, music in a in a free way that's not a, you know, not going to cause this this little thing to happen with your hand. Yeah, I mean, I, part of that was that I've just never played a string instrument before, but mm-hmm. part of it is that I can play it with the right hand, basically, um, and it's still uh, exercising my musical talent, mm-hmm. but. Uh, just in a different way that doesn't cause pain and anger, I guess. I'm very frustrated. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, it would be so um, frustrating. Yeah. 
it's very hard to be in charge of a group and have them look to you for leadership and expect you to lead them into battle, as it were, and you go in and you sort of are like waving around a wet noodle and they've all got sharp swords. Yeah. That's that's what I would that's what I would parallel it with, is that I feel like I'm going into battle for competition and I've got a wet noodle to fight and everyone else has full battle armor. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd imagine it compounds because like, even if you weren't running the group, you've played at a, a pretty high level before. How, where have you competed as a soloist? Have you competed up above grade three? Yes. So my solo career went up to grade one. I thought um, so. And I went pretty quickly too. Um, cons- all things considered. I mean, the, the number of years I had been playing and, and things like that, but I, I mean, I've, I've been I've been playing for fifteen plus years, and I can't break out of grade three. So that's, you're you're impressing you, me already. You could if you wanted. You go on. <laughs> it just takes practice and dedication, man. Yeah, that's that's what all of this is going to boil down to. I'm going to tell everybody to practice, be dedicated, and practice. Well, but you're scaring us all because now it's like, well, if I practice too much. <laughs> to be to be fair, dystonia only affects about one to three percent of professional level musicians. Yeah, but and so if you're not playing at the professional level, you're probably okay. Yeah, we we're, we're talking. I was like eight to six, six to eight hours of practice every day mm-hmm. for like twelve years or more. And, and I didn't mean to derail the flow of it there. I I just was thinking like I can imagine that it would be frustrating and cause anger, even if it was just you playing, having played at such a high level that your brain says, okay, fingers do this. And then they won't do it. That would be frustrating anyway. But then to also be in a position of leadership where, where other people are watching you, that would only compound it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really hard. Um, which is why I decided to not be the pipe major this year. Um, it's, it's not because I don't want to be, um, I love that role. And I had always wanted that role, if I'm being honest. I was very ambitious um, early on. But I just, I can't. It's not fair to me because it makes me upset. And it's not fair to the band because they deserve to have someone who can at least play what the leader's telling them to play, if that makes sense. Well, And I can't. I mean, I'm sure anybody would agree with me. There's no love lost. I, it's a, it's remarkable that you did it for a while anyway. And you still got this wealth of knowledge. I mean, a lot. You've got a lot to give, <laughs> you know. And I don't think anybody loses any respect for you either. In, in a similar way that, like, there ought to not be, there, there ought not be any love lost for anybody who leaves a band to pursue, you know, even just to get the flavor of another band. It's great. You know, everybody, we should cheer each other on on, this little journey that they're going on. I don't think there's any love lost for you, you know, deciding not to be pipe major. That's perfectly understandable. Well, I hope, I hope so. I mean, it probably looks like, you know, we've had a bum year and so I'm just like over it. And that's not the <laughs> case. Like, if y'all would have won, I would have stayed. <laughs> yeah. That's not the case at all. <laughs> well, it's a bum year for everybody. It really is. How about this pandemic? Like, yeah, it's almost October, and we're, like it's almost back around again to the beginning. It started it is, in December. Yeah. yeah, it's a mess. Well, I don't mean to jump around chronologically, Sean, but I am curious what uh, your closest friends and family thought of your piping uh, habit or even obsession as it grew when you were young, <laughs> and, and you know as it got deeper and deeper. So, I don't really know what my sister thought, but I do know my mom thought I was crazy. She, yeah, she she totally poo pooed this oh, when really? I told her, "Hey, I want I want to learn to play the bagpipe." She's like, "Yeah, okay, right, okay, go for it." <laughs> and so she she let me get the chant, the practice chanter, and enroll in the the class. And then probably thinking to I, herself, "This won't last." Yeah, she's like, "This is going to be six months at yeah, best." Like forty bucks to to let him dash <laughs> his own dreams. Fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then. Um, the following year, after I had made it into the high school pipe band, I told her that I wanted pipes for Christmas. Mm. And she's like, well, you're not getting a $1,000 Christmas present. Mind you, to those listening, a set of bagpipes for $1,000 that are made out of wood is a bargain. And mm-hmm. no, it doesn't matter who you are. 
Um, they were black wood. They were beautiful, beaded, combed, you know, the whole nine yards. Were these the, um, were these the classic uh, Dave Booth set? Yes, absolutely. Which, to this day, I still think sound better than um, any other set that I've heard, mm-hmm. I at least about, locally. I talked about that with Leanne. I'm still playing on my booths. I Part of it is that these are the only pipes I've ever had, but I do love them. I don't see, I've they, never felt any motivation to move on to a different set. They're a really great set. But like, so I told mom I wanted this set of bagpipes and she's like, yeah, no. And I'm like, what if I pay for half? Because I had a job as a bagger at the time. So I was making like $5 an hour bagging groceries and was taking them out the to old ladies' cars. Payson Market or the Smiths there in Payson or was it down San Diego? I was at Smiths. Yeah, yeah, I was at Smiths. And so I saved up my money. Oh, I, I have never saved for anything like that in my life. If I can, <laughs> not, if I can do that for, for anything else, <laughs> never again. No. So I, I just poured everything I had into savings until I had enough money to front half of that. And then she relented. And I so I took them I took the money that I had and then a check that she cut to Don and I'm like, can I has now? <laughs> <laughs> and so he, he didn't have any on hand, so he had to order them from Sandy, mm-hmm. who may or may not be associated with the mob. We're you still know, unclear. Sandy St. James works some miracles that it's either the mob or it's a god. It's one or the other. Yeah. And so I think it's more likely the mob, but I also don't want to spread any false rumors in the uh in case the mob shows up at my door yeah we're gonna need to talk after this interview about which parts you want bleeped out and which parts you want to stay in um but yeah so don ordered me a set and they came they took forever to come but they they were here by christmas Mm. and literally that morning this is how crazy i was everyone i literally put them together and took them outside. It was snowing. Yeah. And I played in the snow until my fingers were purple. Because <laughs> <laughs> I your was mom, so excited. I just imagine your mom looking out the window, shaking her head, just being like, I can't believe. What is, what is, is this my son? What is even yeah. happening? <laughs> yeah. Well, and it was, it was interesting too, because uh, I had been playing on a, a loner set, I think, from mm-hmm. Susan. With, that, the, with, that, that, with the high school band? Yeah, that Rosewood set. Yeah, uh, that Rosewood Ooh. set that that she she started on, oh, man. and that she loaned she loaned it to Vera uh, when Vera's pipes got smashed. Oh, the and, car accident, and, right? Uh huh. Yeah, need, I need. To talk, I think I it was need, a rollover. I need to do an interview with Vera and get that story. She she told yeah. me once, but it's 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 a story that needs to be shared. It's a harrowing story of bagpipe destruction. It truly is, um, but. So I had been playing on that set and had just replaced the bag that summer. Um, Queen Susan, you know, radiant didn't really do it. Yeah, didn't do a great job of checking the air tightness of the bag. And me, in all my you know, fifteen-year-old knowledge, didn't know that I had to check for that. Well, she was prepping you to really appreciate the booth pipes when they arrived. I, I had been playing on this leaky set and then mm. like I, I did replace the bag and they were better. But when I got those booths, it was like the planets aligned yeah. and my path was laid before my feet. <laughs> and I, that's really where it took off is when I got those booths. I, I played constantly every day after school for hours, mm. indoor, outdoor, whenever. I have no idea. I, I don't know what my dad thought about this either. He's a very yeah. like silent, quiet type. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I think I think my grandma was pretty like amused by it. She thought it was funny. Yeah. Probably probably because I was driving her kids crazy. Mm-hmm. You know. Maybe with that's noise. what she found amusing. Uh huh. Yeah. Could have could have been any number of things. You could have been a clown. Whatever would have driven your, your parents crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. What uh? What would you? Who would you say throughout all of it has been your biggest fan? My biggest fan? Oh, yeah. me! By by and large, I am my number one biggest fan. <laughs> that is so honest, man! Wowee! <laughs> I admire your Sorry, honesty. I'm, I, I I'm not even, ashamed. Yeah, I don't fault you for it either. You're just upfront about it. So go ahead, man. Be your biggest fan. That's great. I don't know. Maybe that's not true. There might be other people out there. They've just never written me fan letters. Like but I you write have? Them in my head all the time. <laughs> <laughs> the the sheer the sheer amount of fan mail you've received from yourself seems to speak to that. I got you. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
I can fill volumes. Uh, that's wonderful. Well, now if you if you had it to do again, if you could pick any other obsession to have had from childhood until now, would you change it? No. I think that the experiences I had in in all of the bands I've been in were uh, very, very unique experiences that while they're widespread amongst the bagpiping community, they're very niche, actually, in mm. terms of the, the general population. Nobody knows. Maybe maybe we should believe this next part, but like nobody knows what it's like to stand out on the field at Pleasanton and sip Bushmills whiskey from the bottle while we're supposed to be playing Scotland the Brave. Like, <laughs> I know what that's like, and it was a great time. <laughs> um, well, yeah, there's the no, bar. The bar for entry to that experience is pretty high in a lot of different ways. So, but like nobody knows what it's like to know that you're going to be exhausted all day. So just decide to go <laughs> the wall and just have an all day Fourth of July parade experience mm. where you start in the morning. You do the parade, you do the afternoon barbecue, you fall asleep, you go to the next parade, and then you do it yeah. all over again yeah. you know, in two days. Like, nobody else knows what that's like, and oh. I do. It, and, and it was a cherished experience. As, as awful as people make out the Provo Parade, I never thought it was that bad. I always got a ton of adrenaline every time we struck in our drones because people would start cheering, and I knew that they were excited to hear us. So I always thought that was a great experience. That's that's so cool, Sean, because I've 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 felt the same way. It's like I don't fault anybody for saying the Pro Parade is terrible because in a lot of ways it is. It's long, it's really hot, and I feel like it has way too many horses, and all of those horses have way too much stored up in their bladders and colons, <laughs> and they're just like waiting for the parade, you know, to to relieve themselves. But in spite of all that, it's my favorite parade every year precisely because of that adrenaline i just i i'm exhausted by the end but i just feel like there's no other situation where i could go one more song one more song one more song yeah one more song. right like some people are addicted to heroin i guess i'm addicted to the adrenaline from screaming crowds because i think that's so much fun <laughs> that is a lot of fun that's for sure so is there anything that you is there is there any part of this experience that you wish you could share with the general public? Like you think of people who you know and care about who are not pipers, and you think if you could only feel this, you would be playing bagpipes too, or drums. You know what? There there is, and I tried once in a, a music class I took while I was in college. <laughs> so we were all supposed to bring in like a unique type of music that we found intriguing or whatever. Mm. Of course, me being me and not knowing anything about popular music at the time because I was in a bagpipe bubble. Mm -hmm. Literally, Enya and bagpipes were the only things I listened to. Well, what else do you For need? a long time. Right, right. I mean, that's like ambrosia. <laughs> but um, I wish that I could make people feel what I feel when I hear a really good medley played. You know, the a really well put together medley that has good chord progression and um, good tuning and just really good solid percussion sound um i feel it deep like in my soul even which sounds so corny but to the point where like i can't sit still like my head has to bob like mm. my shoulders kind of move up and down or something like i can feel it and it just it's like the best feeling in the world to hear that that some that sort of sound this this sort of uh ensemble sound mm. Um, and I wish I could make people understand that, but it takes years and years of listening and right. knowing what to listen for to really get it. Mm -hmm. And so no one, literally no one <laughs> knows what I'm feeling, what I feel. <laughs> well, now, I, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but do are there any groups or medleys that come to mind when you think of this experience that you would love for other members of the band and any other player or, or non-player to to listen to as sort of an example of like, here's a great experience. So there, yeah, there's a couple. Um, obviously, I don't think it's any secret that SFU has long been one of my um, idols, just the, the people who made up that band. Yeah, who's, who's that? Late, late S 90s. SF what? SF, what, what's this? What, what's this band you speak of? Simon Fraser University Pipe Band. Oh, some quaint little group, huh? I'll have to look them up. Yeah, they've they've only won the world championship like eight times or something. I don't know. Um, but 
in the late 90s and early 2000s, they were very, they were pushing the envelope. There had been decades and decades of musical stagnation in mm. Scotland. Um, the judges, the judging over there was very strict and very tied to tradition. And it's, again, I feel like because it was all a bunch of old codgers who don't like change and weren't willing to listen to the music that was happening right in mm. front of them. I've heard and that opinion expressed before. You know, you're not SF, alone in SFU that. came in, and they and they're from Canada, and they were pushing the envelope. They were doing things that no band did. They were throwing in harmonies. They were adding reprises to tunes. They, the, the just the arrangements of the the music they were using and the the music they were selecting was very technically difficult. Yeah, and they were nailing it every time, and they were denied a lot of championships that they should have won. For many years, mm. um, but eventually it just got to the point where nobody could deny their their superiority. They they had it, and it's a very rare thing for a band to be able to do that because you have to keep the same core members, you know, through thick and thin for years, sometimes decades, to really build that structure and the the, the ability to play together that well. For sure. But when yeah. they when they nailed it and got their first world championship it it sort of broke the glass ceiling in a sense and music in scotland and worldwide pipe band music worldwide completely changed almost overnight is is my feeling and and you can if you go back and listen to some old recordings and then listen to more contemporary stuff you'll know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. but like i idolize them because of that and in the same vein the victoria police pipe band were doing that in um Australia and New Zealand, they they were a very strong group and they had really great players and they were making really interesting music. And the same thing happened to them. They just got denied and denied and denied. They, they were snubbed at so many championships. And it's because they were pushing that envelope because they knew bagpipes could be better. They, they knew it could be more interesting than just March Stress Bay Real. Mm-hmm. And for all the... For all the talk i talk on msr i do still think it's an important musical form but we we didn't stop developing music when bach wrote the canon right right sure the msr canon is maybe kind of our foundation music, but we can move from there music continues to evolve piping should not be any different yeah if you need to take that sean you can you can no big deal can you hear me I can. Oh, okay. Hey. Here we go. Yeah, you're back. There we go. Sorry, my. I think my Bluetooth turned off. I could hear you through Bluetooth, but not speak. Oh, I see. I see. That makes sense. So, Victoria Police. They were. Yeah. Another... So they were. They were a very um, important group in in uh, forming my uh, love for bagpipes, and um, I really looked up to them because they like they had. They they were known for playing Hellbound Train, right? And of course, yeah. Zach was a huge fan of that. You guys you guys played that many times, <laughs> probably um, too many times. <laughs> <laughs> there might be some who thought it was a little overdone. It was like, hey, what? Hey, hey, do you have ears? But it you want to hear the song? <laughs> it was also never done in Utah County up until mm. that point. You know, like that was very cool that you guys were able to put together a group that could play that tune. Well, that's sweet um, of you. I mean, we but sure it's an, felt it's, cool. <laughs> it was an important tune, and that rec- the recording from them playing it, uh, I think it was on their Live from the Rockies album, mm-hmm. is such a cool recording. It's amazing, right? It's, if you have not listened to that, you have got to listen to it because it will blow your mind. <laughs> yeah, that I had a similar experience with them in that when I first started playing, I started playing, well, my we don't have to talk about my whole story, but I, the main group that I listened to when I started was the Wicked Tinkers, and they are great. Aaron Shaw's a great piper, but mm-hmm. Don Don saw that I needed my horizons expanded a bit, and he introduced me to Victoria Police, and that horizon definitely was expanded. Yeah, he did the same thing with me, because I was obsessed with SFU, and, and you know that, I, I still to this day think of it their Down Under album is one of the best bagpipe oh, yeah. albums ever recorded. Absolutely. I'm with um, you 100%. So, again, if you haven't listened to that, you have to listen to that because 
I mean, even the Pibroch on there, which a lot of people hate Pibroch. If you sit and listen to it, like it's really, really beautiful and really that's, well done. That's the first Pibroch I could ever make it through from beginning to end. That was my, yeah. that was my gateway to Pibroch for sure. Mm-hmm. And I remember yeah, it's really we, interesting. We had a kind of crabby old judge once when I was in the high school band who came to the pacing games and he did a clinic with the high school band afterward. And there were a lot of negative things that came out of it, honestly. <laughs> but one of them was that he was he was slagging on Victoria Police because they didn't play enough grace notes. And I remember just sitting there listening to this guy and just being like, yeah, but but did you listen to what they do play? It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, how can you be like, ah, not enough grace notes for me, <laughs> you know? Old codger. Crazy old codger. <laughs> Well, but yeah, Don, Don did the same for me and he gave me a, a, like a host of six or seven different pipe band albums to listen to. And, um, yeah, so my, like my tastes have evolved over time. I, I think that right now field Marshal Montgomery is putting out some really, really great stuff. Yeah. Um, they have a pretty recent album that was pretty phenomenal and, and um, that was Ascension, they, right? Yes, or, or I ascend, think so. ascending or something along those lines. Something, yeah, and it it's a pretty great album. They they've put in decades of work though to get to where they are. Yeah, the consistency and it could fall, of like having the crew there and having everybody working hard yeah. and stuff. That's a kind of magic that doesn't always come together. And it it could fall apart at any second. And and Richard Parks has actually acknowledged that in the past in interviews um, that he's like, yeah, it's just all about people being in the right place at the right time. And any one of them could leave and it could lead to a mass exodus that, that puts us back where we were 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah. That's, that's one thing that I do try to keep in mind. Like when you talk about your experience early on, when you were frustrated and then realize that, you know, it's pretty much the same everywhere. I can, I can, I absolutely mean it that I want everybody who wants to play with any group to feel comfortable doing that. I think that is important. However, I can definitely sympathize with, Don at that time with you leaving as one of the stronger members of the band, you know, and quite possibly thinking to himself or not saying it out loud that, um, you know, he's played with other groups and maybe he also thought to himself, you know, it's, it's about the same everywhere you go. And he might've been having this 10 years long overview that like the planet, if the planets align just right, you get enough people who are committed enough and in the right place in their lives that you can have a band have an amazing sound and Sean is one of the planets that's aligning now I just need the rest of the planets to align and then for that aligned planet to say I'm going to go to this other constellation you know I can imagine that would be a challenge yeah I, I, and I think that that's a valid concern on his part for sure for better or worse I I think personally for me it was a good move it it gave me a little bit more exposure and a, a, a wider lens to look mm-hmm. at things through um, but I mean, every, everything's 2020 hindsight. Yeah. Well, of course. And, and, you know, and, and really everything's messy, you know, everything. It is really is. Messy. I mean, life, life is hard and you mm-hmm. have to, one of the, the biggest nuggets of wisdom that my, my mom's mom, my grandma ever gave me was that, and this is a direct quote, you can't please everybody. So you have to please yourself. Mm-hmm. And I spent several years trying to please everybody and eventually decided to please myself. And, you know, it wasn't greener per se, but I did learn some new things and I was able to bring that back and not only have a wider lens and, and maybe be a little bit more patient of an individual, mm-hmm. but um, also I sort of scratched the itch and I never needed to worry about it again. Mm-hmm. Well, and now we get to benefit from your, from your experience and that's handy. I'm, I'm, right. I just, it's, it's maybe really woo woo and, and silly of me, but I just, I love, I love to imagine that anybody who kind of comes through the garden Valley doors and stays or goes elsewhere remains sort of in, in really loving family type of relationship with the members of the band so that, you know, those planets aligning, right. With that analogy, like who knows what the, when the orbit's going to bring everything back together in one form or another, and, uh, well, who knows, you know, but I, 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 I guess I worry a little bit sometimes that it's possible that right now with our band going from having a grade four to grade five to being a big grade five, it could be, di- it, it could be discouraging for some people, but I feel kind of like, you know, recognizing that even groups like Field Marshal, 
that are amazing, like the recognition that like this is a tenuous balance that doesn't come about at all times and it's not going to last forever. Like, you know, who knows what next year will bring or the year after that or the year after that, you know? Um, yeah. And, and I don't think, yeah, I don't think people should try to plan for that. It's, it's too hard and yeah. you'll, you'll just put yourself through hell, um, trying. Well, I don't know if I this think, is heavy or deep or what, what is this, Sean? What's going What are we doing right now? <laughs> what kind of thing is I this? I don't know. It's kind of been all over the place, huh? You're really not great at controlling the tone. I I'm not. You. No, I, I'm, I'm terrible at this. It goes from like hilarious laughter to very like somber and like, uh, philosophical. Well, with no warning. And and how how Sean? I mean, how do you feel about pineapple as a pizza topping? It's an abomination, and if you disagree, I will have to flay you alive. Uh, see, I, and I so just now I thought this conversation was going to get lighter, but it got darker. So nope. Remarkable. Pineapple should never be on pizza, and people who <laughs> think otherwise are evil. They're soulless beings. <laughs> Well, agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to kind of put a button in it, Sean, I've got a final question I can ask you. But before I do that, do you have any um, anything? I mean, this is for the band. You know, thinking of the band, you know, uh, anything you want to say to them? Any, uh, you know, words of wisdom or, or uh, anything at all? Don't put Twinkies on your pizza. Well, or pineapple. I, all right. Well, those are two entirely different things, but uh, let's, not, <laughs> let's not get too deep into the weeds here. Um, so uh, to finish it up, do you have any pre-performance ritual before you're going to go out for competition or for any other kind of performance, whether it's from the night before or just moments before? What Things to psych yourself up, any, anything at all that you like to do? So I have a horrible memory and... I'm constantly paranoid that I'm going to forget a part of my uniform. Mm -hmm. So the night, the night before I'm going to do a gig, I always get my uni bag out. I open it up. I make sure I have a shirt that I have a vest that I have. Um, if I'm going to need it, like a jacket or a sweater, uh, hose, like I, I just go through the whole uniform list the night before a gig. Even if I'm not bringing the uni bag with me, like if I'm going to get dressed in the morning, I still put everything in that bag so that I don't forget to put something on. Do you ever lay your uniform out on the bed in the shape of yourself, like on the first day of school? And once it's all set, then just like slide under the covers so that you sleep underneath <laughs> it. So it's just no. totally ready to go. No, I can't do that because while I sleep relatively sound and don't move the covers, Darren is what you call a fish out of water. And so <laughs> you need those I Love Lucy uh, separate twins. <laughs> I'm I'm considering it very heavily. <laughs> uh, yeah, so no, that that would not work for me. Cool, cool. Well, thanks, Sean. Thanks for chatting. I personally would like to keep talking forever, but for the sake of making a, a single episode, you know, even even if I take a couple little bits out of here, we're probably looking at over an hour. So. Oh yeah, it's like six twenty now. Yeah, man. Jeez. <laughs>